Welcome to another deep dive episode of Hell in a Cell Phone, the podcast where we attempt to make sense of the attitude era of WWE 20 years later. I'm your host, Aaron Benoit, joined as always by our wrestling historian, Bobby Hankinson. Hello. And experiencing this all for the first time, Eric Silver. Happy to be on the podcast that uh, hails from Death Valley and is 370 pounds. We've been trying to slim down. COVID's been hell on everybody. Uh, for this deep dive, I'm actually going to throw things over to Eric, who's going to talk a, a little bit about what inspired him to uh, have us do this subject. Sure. Uh, so my request was um, I, uh, as you know, fans of the pod may have gathered, I'm a bit of a completionist. I don't like coming into the middle of a story, uh, which is why it's very hard with wrestling uh, which is, you know, a soap opera, as as some have astutely pointed out. It, it was hard for me, you know, to come in with characters that would, had already been established. Um, so what I asked for was uh, the origin of The Undertaker. I wanted to see when he first came on the scene. Uh, I wanted to see, you know, what his wrestling style was like, how he was received. Because the, the earliest I remember The Undertaker was probably a WrestleMania or something where I just remember him like maybe coming into like a battle royale or, or uh, a, sorry, battle royal. Battle royale is uh, what you get in France. Um, <laughs> oh, so I, is, that, I, is that when I, he was sent to the Japanese island with the bomb strapped around his neck? Is that... <laughs> that's a good fucking movie. But, uh, I want to watch that movie again. It's a great That's a great movie. movie. I have it on DVD yeah. if you need it. Is this for, I'm sure it's streaming. <laughs> do you need a DVD? And, <laughs> Lord knows I got no use for this fucking DVD. Do you, do you, want, do you want the commentary on Battle Royale? <laughs> you, want, you want me to put a thing in a thing, Bobby? Come on. Um, But yeah, so like what I, it must I think there was something where I remember him showing up and like just it seemed like, you know, like Hulk Hogan had finally met his match. It was just this guy who was just unstoppable and this force. And um, I thought that's what that's I thought I was going to see that match. But apparently he premiered earlier. Um, So, yeah, that's what I was curious about. So we're looking back actually at two individual moments here. We're going to see both his first match. Um, first televised match, but also the first match that was on television actually came after that. So it's that weird time thing that we experience all the time when we're recording our episodes based 20 years ago and and being released at some point in the future. But we're going to start things off looking at Superstars of Wrestling from November 19th, 1990. Did not air until December of that year, though. Well, if we want, we kind of set up a little bit of uh, how how Mark got to this place before uh, either of these matches. Uh, Mark Calloway was wrestling in WCW. Um, Pritchard was a big Bruce Pritchard was working in behind the scenes at WWF and as a producer or road agent or talent relations. I don't know exact title, but you know, among, uh, someone that had Vince's ear. Um, he was always a big fan. He'd been watching Mark Calloway since his time in Dallas. You know, Bruce Pritchard is a Houston guy. Uh, so Mark Calloway was making some, making some, uh, waves when he started out in Dallas. He was really athletic. He was very big. Um, he used, uh, he like ripped off a lot of like moves and stuff from this wrestler, Don Giardine, um, who was the original spoiler. Um, 
he was like a big guy who was also like super athletic. Uh, Mark Calloway was a big fan of his and he copped a lot of kind of moves and some things. I believe Walking on the Ropes came from him. Uh, he was huh. Mean Mark Callis in WCW. He was part of a group called the Twin Towers with Dan Spivy and at other times who would we become uh, – who someone we would know is Psycho Sid. Uh, in fact, when Psycho Sid – I think Sid was actually brought to the WWF before uh, Mark Callis and Hawk from Legion of Doom was like, you got the wrong tower, dude. Like you should have got hmm. the other guy. Uh, he's way better. So anyway, Paul Heyman was managing him in WCW and his contract was up. So he let Pritchard know. He's like, listen. And by the way, everyone listening at home, uh, I am shamelessly cribbing this from Bruce Pritchard's podcast. And if you want to hear it straight the horse's mouth, something to wrestle with, uh, find that episode there. It's great. I got a lot of stuff from there. Anyway, uh, I was not there. Uh, so anyway, uh, Pritchard wanted him real bad, went to Vince and Vince like just didn't see it. He didn't, he's just like, oh, he's just another like tall guy. This is like not, he's like an athletic guy. There's no really like a, doesn't seem like there's a there there. But Pritchard is begging. He just like, he just knows, he's never met him. He doesn't like know him personally, but he just knows there's something there. So they set up a meeting um, where Vince was going to meet up with uh, Mark. So the night, the day before that meeting was supposed to take place was the Great American Bash 1990. No, Great American Bash, not of 1990. No, probably not. Maybe nineteen ninety, July nineteen ninety. That actually does make sense. Uh, Great American Bash, though. But Mark Callis was going to wrestle Lex Luger. Lex Luger, especially at this point, is kind of shitty. Uh, and Undertaker or Mark Callis at this time has a dislocated hip during this match. So, needless to say, it is not a good match. It is in fact so bad that Vince goes, "You know what? I don't want to meet this guy." <laughs> so Bruce Pritchard has to call him and cancel the meeting uh, and tell him, "Like, sorry, uh, not going to happen." But I guess there's another WCW show or something down the road, like down, you know, further in time. And then Pritchard's like, listen, he's going to be in town. He's going to be nearby. Please just meet with this guy. Uh, and they meet and Vince and him just really hit it off. He really likes him. So Bruce wants to manage him. And Bruce has his character, brother love, the white suit, the red. He's all about love. I love everybody. It's all about love. So he, the whole thing he wants to pitch is he wants him, this guy to be the opposite, all black and all dark. So they have like their creative services department that like is there like designers and creatives that like come up with the characters and like the look. So the costumes and whatever. So they're coming through the costumes and that's where Vince is the one who says like he looks like an old Western undertaker. And that's where that kind of comes from. Uh, so they come up with the name Kane. So Pritchard has the name Kane for him, who is mm. the first man to ever commit murder uh, in the Bible. Uh, so that's the name. And then un- you know, Undertaker comes from Vince. So that's where that comes from. I love uh, that story of um, the Undertaker call, or I'm sorry, Vince calling Mark Cal- um, and saying, uh, "Am I speaking to the Undertaker?" So I just think that's a, a really fun way to kind of introduce somebody to their new gimmick. And also, he was very worried that at the same time, what's what's happening, um, especially for this Survivor Series show, and it's a Sidley he'll make his debut on Survivor Series, which makes sense for a lot of reasons. It's a big show. Also, it's a match that allows him to take out multiple people. Um, so it's a it's it was that was how what it was decided. But they're also pushing this fucking egg, this fucking egg, for weeks. There's just an egg. That they're like, what's in the egg? Who's going to come out of the egg? And so Undertaker's having these conversations with WF, and he's like, oh, fuck. I'm going to be the egg guy. They're going to put me, my gimmick <laughs> is going to be <laughs> Mr. Egg, and I'm going to have to look like an egg or wear an egg or come out of the egg. He's like, fuck, fuck. I don't want to be the egg guy, and I'm definitely, like, 100% they're going to make me the egg guy. 
And so he was very relieved to not be the egg guy. Um, and that'll, that'll, that takes us pretty much to this, to these matches now. And then I have Who a is the egg guy? Of, um, the gobbledygooker. Oh, Who boy. is related to Eddie Gu- It's uh, Hector Guer- uh, Guerrero. Yes. Huh. Which was okay. the idea. It didn't, they didn't really... The idea behind the gobbledygooker, apparently, which I also learned while researching this, uh, is that it was supposed to be like a Philly... It wasn't supposed to be a wrestler, even. It was just supposed to be like the Philly fanatic or, or, or uh, gritty or whatever. Just like a kind of mascot for the WWF. Mascot, yeah. yeah. that could like take pictures with kids and blah, 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 blah. And they hired Hector Guerrero because they're like, great, then we can put him on TV wrestling as Hector Guerrero. He can also like wear this suit and do whatever we need for him to do with this. Um, so the idea originally was going to be that, apparent, according to Pritchard. It just went over with nobody. Yeah, it obviously was very dumb and bad, and just like every, nothing about it went off right. So now, Bobby, are you going to uh, give us the backstory of Mario Mancini? I am not. <laughs> I just pictured his his ring music. It's just him oh, going, right. "It's me, Mario Mancini," and he munches on a bunch of mushrooms on his way down to the ring. He was kind of hot, though. <laughs> like, was it not into Mario Mancini? I definitely, if Mario Mancini uh, sent me a woof on Scruff, I would reply. Uh, Mario Mancini, I had a T-shirt of him, but only because uh, I, I told my my parents asked me if I liked them, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm into them. I, I liked some of their music, you know, like what was it? Uh, uh, Pretty Monsters, or what, what else did Mario Mancini do?" The cover of Sweet Dreams. I have no idea what you're talking about, Eric. I mean, I know, I know uh, you're, Mar- you're doing a callback to the corn T-shirt, but does was Mario Mancini Mar- actually? I was talking about Marilyn Manson. Oh, Manc- uh, that's fine. Whatever, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was doing my best. I just, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here with this bit, Eric. I'm sorry. You're supposed to read my mind and make the A two uh, uh, Omega <laughs> connections that I make. Brother Love, Bruce Pritchard, is 27 years old in this, which the the fact that that people are just so much older looking from back in the past (laughs) is something that always blows my mind. You know, if you look at him, though, out of all the makeup and stuff from this time period, pictures of him around this time period, there was a couple they showed in the Broken Skull sessions, uh, and he looks much more normal. Like I think the makeup and the glasses and the hair all add. So, Brother Love escorts Kane the Undertaker, as he's being called at this point, wouldn't stay for long, to the ring, helps him take off his clothes, and this is just a squash, a straight-up squash um, against just some dude. And he oh, does old-school Undertaker before you can even call it old-school, because this is just school at that point. <laughs> and ends with the Tombstone pile driver. Which I don't think he fully had uh, figured out the best way to protect his opponent during. Because it felt like on that one, I was like, oh, you just, like, splayed his knees open. Like, Undertaker's knees were splayed open. His head, that guy's head straight on the ground. Like, that was okay. not, he didn't, like, land it. I was like, Eowza. And we'll talk about the tombstone in the Survivor Series match uh, next. But with Mary Mancini, it looked like he literally, like, his legs were so wide when he hit the ground. I was like, oh, no. He- he had to bury his first few opponent, opponents. The Undertaker wasn't just a gimmick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then we go a few nights later, Hartford, Connecticut, Survivor Series 1990. 
the million dollar team Ted DiBiase has been saying for weeks that he's got a mystery tag partner that's going to be joining up with him. Um, Virgil was a lot smaller than I remembered him to be. And then we had Honky Talk Man and his cousin, I guess, Greg the Hammer Valentine. Well, uh, you know, Virgil was smaller than I remembered, and Ted DiBiase was bigger than I remembered. Like, just, I don't know what my memory is of these people, but, like, (laughs) I remember Ted DiBiase being, like, you know, not, like, svelte, but, you know, I don't know. He looked like kind of a... Uh, a rich old handsome man and he does not look like that in the in the video and then on the opposing team we had uh coco beware we had dusty Rhodes, and then we had the heart foundation brett and jim the andal how did dusty Rhodes make cody Rhodes? it doesn't seem possible Dusty like, unless is... Dusty Rhodes like molted and then Cody Rhodes was like an inner the inner like nesting doll, I don't get it. I would love at some point to go back and watch like because I mean Dusty Rhodes is known as obviously one of the most beloved and legendary performers of all time. Uh, mm. And I don't think I've ever seen something with him in it. Like I remember watching even like you know early hulk hogan matches when i was like a kid i remember like randy savage mm-hmm. and i remember jake the snake roberts the ultimate warrior like i remember the i remember yeah. like seeing those guys and seeing them wrestle and i remember billy dollar man ted biasi and and uh george animal steel i like i remember all those but i don't remember anything with dusty Rhodes at all and he might not have been in WWE at that time right uh, dusty Rhodes spent so much time in in nwa and then later wcw i mean the, the first few starcades i feel like he headlined with uh with rick flair uh, Bobby, do yourself a favor. If you've never watched it before, check out the Hard Times promo. I would love to. Yeah, I, I really would like to. Like, it's on my list, you know. Who, who has the time? Yeah, uh, yeah one exactly. Day when, when I'm out of wrestling to watch, LOL. <laughs> uh, when I'm not watching wrestling for this, and then also trying to keep up with, like, modern-day wrestling, and also, like, hey, what's AEW doing? Oh, my God, Impact's doing a thing now? You know, it's like, uh, mm-hmm. when I run out of time, I, will, I would like to watch some of his best work because he's, he's lauded so much by some of my favorite performers that I'm like, there's gotta be something here, but it wasn't this match. (laughs) No, no, it wasn't. By the way, Bret Hart lost another brother. I feel like we're always watching a pay-per-view where, so Jim Neidhart is, is like a not, it's a, is not like a blood heart relative. I think he either. No, no, no. What? I'm talking. Uh, they 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 were mentioning Bret Hart in the in the pay per view. They yeah. were mentioning how Bret Hart lost his brother. They said, that oh, and I was I like, what? That. What? The day before? Yeah, almost. Uh, yeah, Bret's brother died the day before. They said. Wow, I was so busy researching Undertaker. I totally didn't uh, pick that up. I will. Uh, I will talk about the Undertaker in just a second. But I do want to um, between last week and watching this here, we've shat on. Brett the Hitman heart a lot, and a lot of it's deserved just in being just like a very dour, no fun dude. But the fact that he straddled so many different styles of wrestling and was able to make the leap for 
a while and there was a point where i think the business um and his body just kind of like gave out at the same time i'm not sure which one i would blame more but watching him in this like punch react punch react watching him in that that ballet against Shawn michaels watching him in that uh submission match with stone cold steve austin gotta give the man his props as well He's fucking great. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes, great. he's really good. We, we, I mean, like, we jumped in at a time where, like, you're totally right. Like, he just, like, the Frank Grimes thing wasn't forever. You know, that was a fairly, mm-hmm. that was, like, just towards the end of his run for a lot of, like, very real behind-the-scenes reasons. Um, but during these days, especially, he was fucking amazing. There was a reason why, like, kids, like, all, everyone had those, like, big pink Bret Hart sunglasses. Like, he was, uh, he was, like, a little uh, proto-Cena. So the million dollar team makes his way into the ring. Uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine looks like he's never held a guitar before. And that's when The Undertaker makes his appearance for the first time to a huge, huge audience. Roddy Roddy Piper, though, can only talk about how big his legs are. (laughs) Is Roddy Roddy Piper a face announcer? That's what he seems like. He, I mean... but with the dichotomy between him and, and Monsoon, I would assume that he's the heel announcer, or maybe yeah. it's just not as pronounced back then as it is Yeah, now. I would think Monsoon is playing the, the play-by-play, and then he's doing the color. So he's the so Monsoon is doing JR, and he's doing Lawler. No, I know. I get that. Uh, but I'm saying an alignment. I think his alignment was, was um, you know, Lawler is a heel announcer doing color. Yeah. I think... Piper is a is a face announcer doing color. He was rooting for all the faces. I wasn't clocking it so much. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Yeah, like, yeah. he was he was like Brett, get him, get him, Brett, go, get him. Because like ha- he was totally on the side of of uh, you know the American dreams or whatever the fuck they were called. I had a hard time. These are not voices. I, I honestly like. I'm like that. Because I didn't watch a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had a hard time even, like, the commentary didn't all hit with me as much. But Wait. I'm sure you could tell me about about the uh, the Allstate commercial or whatever the fuck it <laughs> yeah. was called. Well, I had to go back and forth on it three times. And also, before I found this one, I had to queue up 1987 Survivor Series like a moron because I didn't know what season this was. <laughs> <laughs> what do we think Ted DiBiase paid this ghoul to be on his team? <laughs> Five bucks. Also, like, yeah, what, what, what do ghouls need money for? <laughs> well, is he a ghoul or is he an, is he just a hardworking blue collar man? Right, because he's an undertaker. Their bones are their dollars. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, also, I was wondering about the Ted DiBiase. Oh, sorry, Bobby. Go ahead. No, go, ahead, go, ahead, go, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. I was wondering about Bob about Ted DiBiase. I was like. So this guy's got like a million dollars and he just wants to wrestle like a normal guy. And then I was like, oh, that's Vince McMahon, isn't it? <laughs> like, <laughs> Okay, that makes sense now. Like I was like, I didn't quite get it. But then I was like, oh, I think I get it now. Yeah, it's it's Richard Branson skydiving out to uh, to Virgin Festival, shit like that. Yeah. I, I like that he are... does his own music, by the way. <laughs> And so as far as um, the match itself, we get to see the the first blows between Brett and The Undertaker, something that went all the way to um, one of the, the big moments in um, 
at SummerSlam 97, was that? Yep, right before the screw job. Um, and then we get to see um, Undertaker take out Dusty Rhodes in his very first match. And so a, a beloved icon coming in there. And then we get to see the... Um, the 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 start of a time honored tradition of the count out loss for the big man at Survivor Series as a way to get him out of the ring, but without having him lose any of his luster. Now he did hit that tombstone pile driver on Coco Beware, also dropping him on his head for real. Ooh. And then Coco Beware was pissed and like was like in Undertaker's face after the match in the back, like mm. was like very angry. I can't imagine Undertaker not having enough rub that Coco Beware is in his face. Crazy, right, to think about? But, yep. Mm -hmm. He also had to be like, "Um, now I'm going to arrange your arms. Please move over here. I have to move you. I have to move you now to to arrange your arms. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. (laughs) They were too close to the ropes, too. So the whole, I mean, yeah, Yeah. it was not, it was not, it was not pretty. But, you know, Undertaker's taking on this whole, this like, you know, a lot of this, and it, it relates to what we were talking about last week uh in our episode about uh judgment day uh that undertaker you know the american badass character allows him to change his ring style and loosen up his ring style because he's doing this now where he's no selling a lot he's moving very slowly and something that 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 mark calloway added to this character that added you know there's so many things that he brought to that are so spectacular that make him such a legend even whatever um that make him such a legend uh he the way that he was always he never was breaking character like outside of the ring he was wearing black when you would see him in the airports and whatever like he was always kind of like in character and he um like added this way that he like moved very slowly and it was very much so like like michael myers and like uh jason Voorhees, where it's like a stalking and it's slow moving until it's like these bursts of big energy until it's that jumping flying clothesline until it's um, walking the ropes and the bleep it's like it, it's although otherwise very slow and stalking and it's very different than what other guys are doing around him so it made him stand out as an attraction um, and he wasn't trying to have these technical masterpieces he was it was all character all gimmick and meanwhile though but he was a guy who could if he wanted to be trading those blows and he could do all that stuff and he was big and athletic uh but he wouldn't have a chance to really it showed that to the extent until he had the American badass transformation. And then from there found ways to sort of merge things all together in the way to become like the sort of like a highest Pokemon evolution he would hit. Huh. Well, cool. Diaper baby undertaker. <laughs> um, yeah, it, I can give a little great, postscript. He, had, he was a great no-sell on this. Sorry, what are you saying? Oh, I said I can give a little postscript on this stuff, too. Like, what's in the coming week, I, the next couple months of The Undertaker. Just yeah, a couple, no, like... Yeah, please. So, uh, let's see here. So, the cane was dropped from Undertaker in about two weeks. They kept... Then he was just The Undertaker. Uh, so, the cane name doesn't last long, um, obviously. Wow. Re- really short. Back. So, now, Mr. Percy Pringle is signed in December of this same year. And they did not originally bring him in specifically to be Undertaker's manager. Uh, if you look, and I, I actually, I didn't realize this. And when I found the pictures of it, it was wild that Percy Pringle used to like be a manager for Ravishing Rick Rude. And it had like blonde hair. And it was just like a normal person. And it looks somehow crazier uh, than when he's Paul Bearer. Looking but, it up right now. 
But one of the things that Vince always does is he asks people when he hires them, like, what do you do in real life? Like, what's a hobby of yours? What's a secret talent? Like, what's this? Because he wants to find a way to incorporate that into the character, something real. Like, if so, if you're really into cars, like a spark plug, and you're really whatever, like, they want to bring that into your character. So when they hire Percy Pringle, he goes, actually, you know, funny story, I'm a licensed mortician. They were like, oh, shit. I mean, like, how can we not do this? So... Uh, two months after Survivor Series, basically the the propositions put to Bruce Pritchard, where it's like, listen, this Undertaker guy is taking off. We're taking him on the road, so you need to choose if you want to go full time talent and go on the road full time with the Undertaker as Brother Love as his manager, or if you don't, if you'd rather work like the office job and not go on the road, also okay because we have this other guy we can slot in right now. So obviously Pritchard chose to stay off the road. And that's where Paul Bearer comes in. Uh, and then I think I think that's really the final piece that locks into place where it's like, okay, now this is the fucking Undertaker. Yeah. Okay, so follow-up question to that whole Vince asks you, like, give us a little fact. Do you think Erwin R. Scheister said, I'm, a, I'm actually a licensed <laughs> CPA, <laughs> or did he say, I'm Jewish? <laughs> well, <laughs> what would have been really funny is when D'Lo got there, and he's like, I'm a licensed CPA, and he's like, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> not anymore, you motherfucker. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're in this Black Panthers group. It's like, wow, Vince, <laughs> your bias is showing here, dude. Uh... <laughs> well, excited to see where the Undertaker goes. I see big things for this kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's got chops. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, it's funny. I feel like uh, in the canon, it sounds like. You know, we have almost like a Mario and Luigi Mario situation, right? Where uh, Undertaker's parents named both their children Kane. <laughs> no, that was Mario Mancini situation you're thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> Mario and Luigi Mancini, Mario. All right, guys. Love us. Disagree. Want to. Drop us on our fucking head. Oh... Uh put eye makeup on us so we look like we haven't slept in days don't need Let us it know. already look terrible okay sorry. <laughs> i already look like a, <laughs> the last year with i look like a ghost email us at hell in a cell phone at gmail.com get updates on facebook or twitter at hell in a cell pod or tweet at us individually eric at prime silver bobby at bobby hank and aaron at slow past our theme song is there are traders in our midst by disco vietnam and our artist by alexis yabney find links for both in our episode notes Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back again next week with King of the Ring 2000.